0: game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. Flip the page. Dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played. Maybe you've made a trade. They list and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships. They wish they had your. So this is it. You want to learn the game. 101 pick. When it hits, you feel no pain. Crane for the fantasy championship hit the books
1: kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic
2: dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic and here are your authors chris allen uh, uh, All right, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Chris Allen of the Dynasty Owner's Manual podcast, and we're getting again into the positional series, and we'll have a little bit more details on that here in a minute, but of course, I wanted to quickly hop in and introduce our guest tonight, and if you're on Twitter at any point and you're a part of the fantasy football community or even just the draft community and you're looking for a few things, I'm sure you've seen this man's work come across your timeline. Uh, let's see. For instance, if you're uh, if you're part of gardening Twitter, this man's stuff has come across your timeline. Uh, if you're a fan of one of the best comedies to ever come across uh, our TVs in the last like couple of uh, couple of decades in terms of Scrubs, uh, you know this man might have uh, you might have seen this man pop up on your timeline. And oh, by the way, uh, if you like to bless the rains down in Africa, uh, you might have uh, seen some of his work as well. And uh, I think. And maybe this might just be a minor footnote. If you're interested in quarterbacks and understanding and evaluating quarterbacks, and you might have purchased the rookie scouting portfolio uh, by the great Matt Waldman, uh, you would have seen some of his work in that as well. Uh, of course, we've got the great Mark Schofield on with us tonight uh, from inside the pylon. Uh, so Mark, of course, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us tonight and taking some of the time to kind of give us your insight into quarterback eval, but how are you doing tonight,
0: man? I'm doing fantastic, gentlemen. It's a blast to be with you. And I think, Chris, you kind of got the order right. I mean, it really is Garden, then Toto, then Scrubs, and quarterback. It is like the fourth on that list. I think of right. the thing that I talk about. It it really is probably the the fourth most important. That it's probably actually slid to fifth after Letterkenny, which is the new Canadian comedy I've been watching. So, I mean. Look, if you want some quarterback takes there's a lot of people out there that do such great work i'm just one of, of dozens out there but um happy to be with you guys i've been looking forward to this show and i'm excited to talk some qbs
2: absolutely and of course with me as always is my partner in crime uh, adam wilde uh, so adam let us know what let the folks know what uh, they've got in store for them this evening
1: oh man thanks so much for joining us mark so you have already listened to the first episode of our positional series with Matt Harmon by this point. So that covered wide receivers. Now we're covering quarterbacks. This one's the tough one. Um, Next week, we're going to be with Bob long talking running back, and then we're going to get into tight ends. So four part positional series. And we really want you to leave these shows uh, as close to an expert as you can get. We've done practical application for over a year now and, we've always harped on leaving the show able to do what we discussed in that episode. So the goal last week and the goal, hopefully tonight is to let people kind of leave seeing what Mark sees essentially. And then when you go purchase things like the rookie scout portfolio, you can kind of understand what these people saw when they were putting all this hard work into their process. Instead of just saying, you know, I really like Miles Boykin because, Matt Waldman really liked Miles Boykin. Now you know why, and you can go apply that to your own player. So this is really making us much better dynasty players,
2: right? And I think that's the that's the biggest key to all of this is trying to gain to gain an edge when it comes to understanding the the different facets of each position. And of course, Mark, just hopping right into it with you tonight. Um, I think that one of the biggest things that I'm starting to notice is just the the mountain of free data, the mountain of free information that we have out there. I mean, you yourself, I mean, you're constantly pumping out uh, great content in terms of uh, quarterback eval. I mean, I'm already seeing some some pieces from you on the upcoming class, the 2020 class and whatnot. So... With all of the free information that's currently out there and all the different edges that we start to see, I mean, where do you think the edge is going to be here in the in the future when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks or when it comes to just for dynasty managers, how they try and find an edge in their league when it, when it comes to looking at different stats, looking at different eval? I mean, where do you kind of see that going over like in the future of fantasy football?
0: Yeah, Chris, it's a fantastic question and it's a great one to think about because we're in such a great time right now when it comes to both fantasy coverage and just sports coverage in general where you know it wasn't like 10, even five years ago where it was just a couple of networks, just a couple of websites doing it. Now, there's such a wealth of information at your fingertips. I mean, you can get on your computer or on your phone and in a second have access to statistical analysis, data analysis, analytics, salary cap stuff hardcore X's and O's and you might not even have to leave a single website. There are websites that do it all now. And there are so many great people from huge sites such as ESPN and on down the line to smaller individual independent websites that do this kind of work that the wealth of knowledge at your fingertips is just infinitely grown by the day. And so it's going to be, easier to find information, but then the trick is knowing what to sort of rely on. And I think the next sort of realm, and it's something that I've tried to do at times in my own work is when you're thinking about fantasy is incorporating the true schematic component to a lot of what offenses are doing, because you know, It's one thing to know that, okay, this is a downfield passing team, but it's something beyond that to know, okay, these are the types of routes they run. These are the areas of the field that they attack. And this week they're going up against a team that plays primarily cover one. And what's interesting, for example, Josh Hermsmeyer last week, or maybe it was earlier this week, I forget, but he tweeted out, and it was some work done by somebody, I forget her name, I think her name is Sarah, that had taken basically completion percentage and grafted out for each quarterback and then league average. So you could see graphically the areas of the field where it's easiest to throw the ball. And Josh pointed out that if you look, it's up the seams. So if you think about a single high coverage where you have either cover one or cover three, you have that middle of the field safety and then the other two corners to the outside possibly – up those seams it's those are the deepest areas of the field where you actually had a decent completion percentage and so that gets into the schematic component if you want to attack the seams what kind of coverages do you want to do that against well single high coverages you know cover one cover three whereas close to cover two you've got two safeties sitting in those seams you want to find teams that will run those routes and when they are playing teams that play cover one cover three coverages you want to go in on those players in that week and so It's just yet another way to meld all the information that we have, taking the schematic component on both sides of the ball and applying it to the knowledge and how you construct rosters, both from a dynasty perspective to a redraft perspective, thinking about, look, these are the teams that play these types of coverages. You want to get players that can attack that kind of coverages, and you want to draft players from teams that will run those types of
1: routes. You you kind of hit on um, week-to-week production there and some of the efficiency metrics that we're going to look at, your uh, average uh, yards per target and things like that. But from a drafting perspective, since that's the kind of season we're in, is this also something that you're going to look on for overall offenses? Are we going to need to know the West Coast offense, the air raid offense, things like that to target in our drafts, whereas, you know, instead of just players as of old?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think – You know, the first thing to sort of mention is it's hard to find a pure West Coast team or a pure air raid team or a pure, you know, air coriel type system. I mean, you take, for example, I'm a Patriots guy. I host the Patriots podcast. I've done nerdy things like read their playbook and they're running west coast stuff they're running coriel stuff they're running air raid stuff i mean every team has a mesh concept every team has a free level stretch concept or a levels concept or you know so there are bits and pieces from playbooks but i think you do as a fantasy player particularly in draft season you want to know the general underpinnings of each offensive coordinator's philosophy like is he more of a west coast guy is he more of a downfield guy because that's going to get you some insight into when the going gets tough people retreat to what they know best and so if you're looking at a guy that might be on a west coast team you know it's going to be a lot of short passes so there's going to be a lot of catch targets opportunities and things like that so if it's a PPR heavy league or PPR league you might want to look at a guy in a west coast offense if it's a half PPR you might think look you know I don't care so much about the targets I want downfield production I want you know vertical stuff so then you might look away from a west coast offense into more of a say what North Turner is doing down in Carolina where he has his Eric Coriel back And so it's definitely important to keep this stuff in mind because you know, when you look at, you know, scoring rules and things like that for each of the leagues you're in, these can make the difference from a week-to-week basis. And so it's good to know that going in, which is why, you know, I always sort of caution people, you know, in leagues I play with or elsewhere, people that ask me for advice, know offensive coordinators, know their coaching tree, study it, see where they've come from. Because when push comes to shove, those are the types of things that they're going to do over the course of a game. You know, numbers will show you that over the course of a season, they'll Draw on what they know best as they call plays, as they design route concepts, as they put together game plans.
2: And now looking into just the not necessarily just the offensive scheme and the X's and O's, but just the quarterbacks in general. So of course, I mean, with you being so plugged into the Patriots, I mean, we're talking about like Tom Brady, but even looking at just around the league in terms of some of the older quarterbacks that really kind of, I guess, highlight some of what is, what draws most of the public in order to come and watch it. So like the Phillip rivers, the Drew Brees, the players that are in their mid to late thirties. We don't know how many more years they've got left. Uh, so what is your take on the quarterback landscape over the next like three to five years I mean what is it going to look like when most of those guys are gone and we're left with Dak Prescott Kirk Cousins I mean those guys that are currently you know within the QB middle class but after we lose that elite tier they're going to be the top tier now I mean what do you see the NFL product looking like in the next like three to five years
0: yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Chris. If you would ask me that question, say, three years ago, I might have said, I'm not so sure what's going to happen when the Brady's and the Bree's and the Rivers and the Roethlisberger sort of fade off into the sunset because quarterback position looks a little unsettled. But I'm really excited about the young group of guys we have in the league right now. You know, if you go back to, say, the Goff-Wentz-Prescott class, I'm excited about all three of those players. And I will freely admit and I think this is important for people to understand, I missed on Prescott. like He was QB 17 or 15 for me. I had him behind Christian Hackenberg in that draft class. I just was not a Prescott fan at all. I missed on him, and I've written about how I missed on him, and we could talk about that in a bit because I know we're going to get into some trade stuff. But I missed on him, but I'm still excited about the growth and development he's shown as a quarterback. I had Goff 1 and Wentz 2 in that class. I obviously still like both of those guys, and I'm excited about that class. And then the next group, The Watson, Trubisky, Mahomes group, like all three of those players now, I was, I mean, Trubisky was my QB4 out of that group, but I like what he's done so far, and I'm cautiously optimistic about him of this upcoming season. Obviously, I love, you know, Watson was QB1 and Mahomes was QB2 for me. Love both of those guys. So I think, and then, you know, you look at Baker and Darnold and even Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, excited about what they're bringing to the table. And so I think the future of the quarterback position in the NFL is extremely bright. You know, because it's going to be in the hands of some very talented passers, number one. But number two, the league has gotten away from the traditional mold of sit three years, wait, watch, and now you're going to do it my way. That's out the window, and, and you know we all know why. It's because of the economics of it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, if
0: you draft a quarterback, the most valuable thing you can have, the most valuable asset you can have is a rookie quarterback on his rookie deal because mm-hmm. you can build around him, you can make a yeah. run as a team, and so you've got to get him on the field. you just wasted him if he's sitting there. So what do you have to do? You have to cater to what he's experienced running, which is why we're seeing air raid stuff being run more, which is why we're seeing you know, Sean McVay use the tempo that he does so he can still talk to his quarterback. They have to find ways to get these guys on the field and become capable quarterbacks right away. And so that's allowing these guys to get valuable experience. So this wave of quarterbacks that's coming into the league right now, They're going to be three, four years in and they're going to have more experience than most quarterbacks had when they were three, four years, you know, say a generation ago. And so I'm very excited about the future of the position. I'm very excited that we're now at a point in the NFL where it seems like franchises and organizations are saying, let's play the young guys. Don't sit. Don't wait get them out there. We got to do it. And let's see what they've got, because I think the talent is there in each of these cycles of quarterbacks. And so I'm very excited about the youth movement, you know, the mid tier guys like the Dalton's, the cousins, you know, those players, you know, you're always going to have that sort of middle tier of quarterback but I think as we move in the direction we're moving where the younger guys play more and more we're going to see more experienced passers sort of take over in this league and so I'm very excited about the future at the quarterback position
1: and still between the older guys in that very young group that we're so excited about you've got your Cam Newton and your Andrew Luck so yeah I'm very happy with the quarterback position going forward it's just that and we can get into this in Dynasty just a little bit it's all these guys seem like they're one to two years away for four to five years. And it just seems as though these older guys end up just figuring out how to get it done and the teams work around them. And as you mentioned, we're also seeing that with the younger guys now. So they're coming into the league and it's kind of the exact opposite end of the spectrum where the coaches are figuring out how to work around kind of their flaws. And you saw how much Lamar Jackson ran last year. Does that stick out? uh, Does that happen forever? No, probably not but they saw what he did well and where he struggled and they made the most of it and they made a run in the playoffs. So I completely agree with the take that these quarterbacks have to get in early. And from an economic standpoint, it's almost weird that it took this long to see that last year we had five quarterbacks drafted in the first 15 and they all started not right away. All of them, but they all end up starting and, like you said, what that does is make championship teams because it's so easy to put people around them. And what we're going to see maybe even with Russell Wilson with his massive contract is that it's very difficult to surround him with talent.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of the, the way the numbers work, you know, in the salary cap era. And I think it was last year out of the 12 uh, playoff teams, I think it was either seven or eight had a quarterback on their rookie mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously you count the Eagles in that, Wentz was hurt. They had Nick Foles. And then, look, you've got on the other end of the spectrum, you've got some of the elite guys that have made it into the playoffs. And one of the Russell Wilson, was the guy that sort of set this all in motion when the Seahawks won their Super Bowl. And so, you know, the name of the game is to get that quarterback, get him on his rookie deal, get him playing, make a run like the Eagles did, like the Rams last year, you know, like the Bears did in a sense. Nobody saw them going 12-4, and but they won their division, could have won a playoff game had they had, a you know, a kicker. And so (laughs) – you know, that's the name of the game. You want to be as productive and as successful as you can, and then get them to a point where if you believe in them, you give them that extension. You say, okay, now you better be good enough to go out there and do it on your own. Right. You yeah. know, the, the ultimate question, guys, and this is one that I think a lot of us have been thinking about sort of in the football media world, you, maybe you guys as well, is who's going to be that team or that organization, that franchise that says, we'll just do it again? You know, yes, the Rams. Are exactly. the Rams going exactly. to be that team that says, okay, Jared, thanks a lot. It's been fun. Now we're going to go draft Trevor Lawrence or whoever it is in 2021 or 2022 or whatever. Who's going to be that franchise to go down that road? And a lot of people said maybe it would be McVay because Mm -hmm. of his system. No, that's the ultimate litmus test. And we saw, I think, a bit of that with the Blake Bortles situation. Now they had, you know, they picked up his option and then they gave him a quick extension, but then they moved on. And so I sort of thought last year that might have been the canary in the coal mine. Maybe it'll be Jared Goff. I don't know. But some franchise is going to do that. And if you think about, you know, sort of, you know, people call it the analytics revolution, but it's just pure numbers. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. math. it's not rocket science here. If you're in a salary cap era, and we've seen year in and year out that, that rookie quarterback deal is a big competitive chip you can play. Why not double down on it? So some team's going to do it. Maybe it's the Rams. Maybe it's somebody a couple years from now. But I'm very curious to see who it is.
1: And you stole the words right out of my mouth there. That's such an exciting topic because at some point, when do these quarterbacks get the running back treatment? I completely understand how difficult it is to hit on quarterback in comparison to running back. Much, much more difficult. You can put Damian Williams in the Chiefs offense and he's going to be a fantastic running back. However, how many of these first round picks don't hit? How many of them are being wasted on running backs that you could have been taking one, two, three years of shots on quarterbacks until you get that next great quarterback? And then you let the quarterback walk, because if we're going to see some 70 percent of the playoffs be quarterbacks on their rookie deals, at what point do you go ahead and say, we just need to keep taking stabs, which in Dynasty is what I do in one QB? I I take the old rivers and Ben Roethlisberger and I will just draft a rookie in the early second every year. And then eventually my replacements there and you could attest to that even more. Tom Brady has never really took a huge contract. Am I right?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, he gets paid well, but it's not Mm -hmm. certainly break the bank kind of money. And he isn't in a unique situation. You know, there's the Giselle factor where, you know, he's making what would be, you know, the big wage earner money in most relationships, but not his because right. his wife is who she is. And then, of course, look, sure. you know, fans of teams that are not fans of the Patriots will tell you that there's also the TB12 program and sure. they let his buddy run that out of from that, up, So, dude. Yeah, I mean, Seriously, so he's, it's on. Tom, I'm, nobody's losing any sleep over Tom Brady's ability to provide for his family. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yes. you know, he's doing pretty well, but at the same time, like you know, they haven't had to like, pay him the Uber deal that you're seeing mm-hmm. other quarterbacks get. You know, so it has allowed the Patriots to do some other things, and that's sort of the interesting thing about. The Wentz deal, and I, I think the Wentz deal, doing it when they did it, doing it a year early, made sense for both sides because mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're the Eagles, you're obviously worried about the the injury history, but if he goes out and plays a full 16 game slate, you're not signing them to these kind of numbers at the end of that, so no. better do it a year early. And if you're Carson Wentz, you know you you better on yourself a little bit. The way they constructed it down the road, it's going to be a big hit, but at the same time. If you're fully healthy, now the team can invest some of that money around you. And so I think it was a smart thing to do uh, from both standpoints. But what's interesting in thinking about, you know, and Adam, you sort of teed this up, and this is also something I've been thinking about, cutting into the weeds a little bit and going away from the quarterback position. But you mentioned when a quarterback's going to get that running back treatment. I'm wondering if you're a fan of the New York Giants. Are you worried that the rookie deal that they have to maximize isn't Daniel Jones, but Saquon Barkley's? Unfortunately, because- you know, you look yeah. at the lifespan of running backs, how much longer is he going to be able to produce at this kind of level? And he's an incredible talent, mm-hmm. but you got to maximize his rookie contract deal because eventually he's going to want to get paid. So that's something that I'm wondering about.
1: And they can't afford to miss one, Daniel Jones, because of Saquon right. Barkley. I fully believe that he's going to demand so much money that you have to have Daniel Jones on one more year with peak Saquon Barkley, or it's not going to happen because if you draft a quarterback next year, he's probably going to take that year to develop, and they're never going to click at the same time. Yeah. And you just and we know Dave Gettleman's doing it wrong. I mean, everybody knows that he is, but for the Giants fan, he can accidentally do it right, but Daniel right. has to ban out.
0: I think that's a great way to put it. He can accidentally do it right. I know none of us have really sort of you know, given Gettleman any credit, and he has taken some interesting steps along the way here, but he may sort of stumble into doing it the right way.
2: Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the weird things that I guess when it comes to just the NFL in and of itself that some of the bad decisions or things that we perceive to be bad decisions can just wind up working out. I mean it could be that Daniel Jones winds up hitting I mean, yep. it's a long shot, but it it probably it I mean, could
0: happen. It, it could, and look, I, I've been crushing Daniel Jones like left <laughs> and right. Like I'm not a Daniel Jones guy. I mean, you think, he was my quarterback six. Like I had him after Will Greer. And yes, I had him after Brett Rippin, Okay, you can all start <laughs> crushing me for that one. Like, I will die on Rippin Hill. Okay, I fully own it up to that part, but at the same time. You know, one of the reasons I was low on Jones is because I thought, look, he's a pure West Coast guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's a West Coast passer, quick game stuff. I don't see a lot of schematic diversity. Well, what does it look like, like the Giants are building around him? A West Coast passing offense. You know, that's what mm-hmm. Schumer wants to do. They go out and they get golden Tate. What does he do? Quick game stuff. You know, Evan Ingram is still going to be a nice little tight end option. They're going in on Sterling Shepard and getting mm-hmm. away from Odell who's more of a vertical type guy. They're building a true West Coast type of offense. And so what is the other element of a West Coast offense? A running back that's a receiving threat out of the backfield, a la Roger Craig. I mean, that's who mm-hmm. you think of when you think West Coast office and Bill Walsh. That's Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. And so if they're building this right type of offense for Daniel Jones, again, not how I would have drawn it up on the board, but, but they might work. Post- an organization be stumbling, perhaps drunkenly, into get it right.
1: Yep, by accident. Yeah, yeah. they got three wa- three slot wide receivers, so we're gonna have to see yeah. how
2: that works I out. I mean, that's,
0: yeah. that's the way you would draw it up as a West Coast yeah.
2: exactly. And then that actually, and I'm really interested to see how the Giants look. I don't know what the 2019 season is gonna bring because with the whole Eli Manning predicament. I really don't know when that transition is going to occur, but once it does occur, yeah, I think the way that you've explained it, it does kind of, yeah, it does kind of, how you would draw it up, I mean, in terms of the the components, the players, their styles, and how they maximize, like, what they can do on the field, that it kind of would look like that. It's just the way that they're, the way they were selected, how much they're getting Mm -hmm. paid, that sort of thing, that just, it doesn't match.
0: But right, it it sort of gets us to the whole like schematic component of all of this mm-hmm. because, look, if Jones gets drafted by the Panthers, say the Panthers moved up or Jones fell for some reason, I would be like, this just doesn't make sense. North turns mm-hmm. a seven-step drop guy; they want to put it downfield. And yeah, look, he incorporated some quicker stuff to, you know, inc- involve Christian McCaffrey as a receiver and do some stuff with Curtis Samuel, but. The fit would have made sense, and so I just would have just been out there screaming, "Look I hate Daniel Jones, and this is as bad as it's going to get for him now I at least see a path where I can be proven in a sense right, but in a sense wrong on Jones in terms of my overall ranking because mm-hmm. in this type of offense, it could work,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: you know that's the you know that's the sort of hidden difficulty or maybe it's not really hidden in Evaluation, but specifically quarterback evaluation, just because, you know, I, I learned in, in a sense from Dan Hatman over at the Scouting Academy, former Giant scout, former Jet scout, now does the Scouting Academy. He told me, you know, years ago that in all his years of scouting, he didn't see too many fights over, you know, grading players generally. Like there weren't a lot of debates over this guy's, you know, a third rounder or fifth rounder or whatever. Most of the fights came up in terms of identifying scheme fits for player. And this is just, by all positions, not just quarterback, but that's the toughest part of it. And remember, these are scouts that have access to the playbook, all the stuff, right. you know the offensive coordinator wants to do. They can call up the offensive coordinator and say, "What routes do you want a wide receiver to run?" Like so, they have that information. We really don't, and so that's the like that's why I was saying earlier that I think that's sort of the next step in this entire process is tr- truly understand what teams are doing schematically what they want players to do, what they're going to ask players to do. And then the schemes that they're going to go out to attack on the offensive side of the ball. And so with Daniel Jones, that's this is sort of a litmus test for that because overall wasn't a fan of him. But if it works out on this West coast system, that was a system that I and others thought he might be best suited to run.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now let's talk about quarterback traits a little bit. Cause we talked about Daniel Jones and I'm sure we can talk about why we don't like Daniel Jones, <laughs> <Right>. but <laughs> when evaluating quarterbacks, there's traits like accuracy, which goes without saying and something that we loved about baker mayfield but even deeper than that and something that i'm sure you're looking at is there things like schematically mechanics that you're looking at that you need before you can be successful in the nfl and is there a level of a leeway that you give these guys because they are college quarterbacks
0: right and You know, again, through that Scouting Academy program, I was taught sort of the way NFL organizations do it. And we might quibble and say, you know, organizations aren't doing it right or wrong, but this is the way that they do it. And that's kind of how I've learned to do it as well. It's all trait based analysis. And then, you know, for every player, there's sort of general traits you look at athleticism, you know, play speed, things like that. Everybody's going to have some athleticism to them. Everybody's going to have some ability to play quickly, you know, physically. Um, But for quarterbacks, there are also, Position specific ones. Like for wide receivers, you'd have, you know, change of direction and, you know, catching ability, hands, catch radius, things like that. For quarterbacks, I mean, things you're looking at, you're looking at process and speed, you're looking at accuracy, you're looking at competitive toughness, mental toughness, mental process, and um, play speed as well. Um, but I think that there are some non negotiables that you just have to have at this position to be successful. And the three that I've really identified in the time that I've been doing this first is accuracy. Look, if you can't put the ball where it's supposed to be and when it's supposed to be there, you don't have a chance of playing this league. Mm It doesn't matter how, how strong your arm is. It doesn't matter how athletic you are. If you can't put the ball where it needs to be, forget it. Like, what are we doing here? So accuracy is pretty much one of the top ones on this list. Then there's processing speed. And this is one where, as you sort of teed up Adam, there is a bit of a leeway process to it because I don't need to see a quarterback come in And be like Tom Brady and instantly whip his head through five different reads to all levels of the field and make the right decision. But I want to see some potential in that area because if you're a quarterback that can never get to his second read or if you're a quarterback that can never diagnose a rolled coverage at the snap again. What are we doing out here? You're not going to be successful. So that processing speed, that ability to decipher and diagnose what a defense is doing well into a play, and then make the right decision with the ball—sort of the triple D's of processing speed—you got to have those. And then there's competitive toughness, and and this is the big one. This is how I missed on Prescott. I every two years, I still have to do it for you know the 2017 class, but. Every couple of years, I go back and look at my rankings on on quarterbacks. And when I went back to look at Prescotts, I pulled out my notes. I'm a pen and paper guy, although I'm moving into spreadsheets this off season. Which mm-hmm. is, I'm an old man. I'm 42. Technology scares me, but I'm a p- old school pen and paper guy. And I pulled up my my binder on that quarterback class. And I flipped through all my Prescott notes, and I hadn't noted, you know, plus competitive toughness after his loss against Alabama, you know, because mm-hmm. he battled into the fourth quarter. But I didn't value it enough I didn't put enough weight in it and then the next draft cycle why did I have Deshaun Watson number one his competitive toughness you see him against Alabama again you know putting his body on the line getting helicoptered by Reuben Foster and popping right up and his teammates they wanted to play for him it, it matters and you know it's it's one of those you know mushy feely type of things you can't really quantify it I've been asked can you quantify it not really but the quarterback position is different. It's not like the others. It's not like wide receiver, where it's a snap to finish type of thing. Can you run your route and catch the ball? With a quarterback, it's like huddle to finish. Or I was talking to Matt Williamson the other day, and he termed it basically, you know film room to finish like there's so much that goes into play in this position beyond just the pure execution of a given play you have to lead those around you when you walk into the huddle do all 10 sets of eyes look back at you or are they sort of looking at their feet at their cleats or at the grass because i can tell you having been in huddles where i looked up and i had no sets of eyes looking back at me because they had lost faith in me you lose games as a result and so it's a critical component to play in the position and it's one of those things that to quote justice Potter Stewart, like, you know it when you see it, Mm -hmm. like It's kind of like pornography in that sense, I guess. Like you don't know (laughs) what it is until you see it. And then like, for example, the most recent one I can think of that Thursday night game, jets Browns and that stadium, how it acted Mm -hmm. when number six came off the side.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, my parents, they're both huge football fans and they, they came over that next day. It was a Friday. They were going to take my daughter somewhere. And they said, look, you could just sense it. You could just feel it. it. The energy in that stadium, it was like somebody turned a light switch on. Yep. That team, that city, they that were gonna win. stadium, they just knew when he mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. in, they were going to win that game. Yeah, That's competitive toughness at the quarterback position. That's leadership at the quarterback position. And look, I'm a nerd. Books, tag, all these, <laughs> things, these are all coaching manual presentations from quarterbacks like, you know, coaches like Chris Peterson and on down the line. And these are all notations where they mm-hmm. and talked about competitive tongues and leadership. I know it seems silly to talk about, but it does matter at this position. And I know it's one of those things. And again, I try to straddle the line between analytics Twitter and X's and O's Twitter. I know that there are sometimes at loggerheads, but this is one of those moments where I sit to the analytics guys like, look, like it, it does matter at this mm-hmm. position. I mean, maybe I'm still outdated, but I haven't played it not to a good level. I was awful at it. I tell people I was the worst quarterback in all of college football the years I was playing, but it does matter.
1: Mark, that's so awesome for you to say, because this is something that I would love to say constantly. And it's almost like it's a dirty word that you're not allowed to say is these things that cannot be demonstrated via analytics. And I find myself being very analytical and I agree that we mostly should be, but it's very unfortunate as a serious football fan and somebody who played football for a very large portion of my life to not be able to include in my analysis that this guy just has it. And I understand I'm a facts person. And if you can't quantify why he has it, it makes it tough, but that's fine because I'm going to have every share of Darius Geis and you right. won't because it's, it's, I can't it, explain it, but it's,
0: it's one, it. one of those things, Adam. And I, I off, I'm look, I'm a politics junkie. And if you've ever like watched a debate or anything like that during an election cycle, and they always have those rooms where they dial test things. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have people like turn the dial. If they like something or turn up, they don't, I would love to find a way to get, those dials on players when they're interacting with a player or a quarterback because i can guarantee you if you had you know 10 dials on each member of that browns offense when baker walked into that huddle they'd all be pinned to the positive Mm -hmm. i mean maybe that's what we got to do i mean maybe we're going to dial test this somehow but again i you're right i wish i could say look baker is a great quarterback you want to Roster from this year because his A and Y is going to be fantastic. His air yards are going to be great in that offense. And oh, by the way, his CT factor is going to be a plus ninety-two. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I could say that, but it does matter at this position. It it matters for other positions. Like, look, you can on the defensive side of the ball, or even at you know, if you're a veteran wide receiver like Larry Fitzgerald, I'm sure your leadership plays a role, but. Mm-hmm. Quarterback is the ultimate on the field Mm -hmm. leader. I mean, we often—and I hate the war analogy—but we make those analogies. We call the quarterback a field general. We want to look to him when the bullets are flying. I hate those analogies, but they're made for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's the player that people look to, and I wish we could quantify it. Maybe that's what I'll spend the next, you know, six weeks trying to figure out because I get asked it all the time, and I wish I had a better answer than "you just know it when you see it."
2: And that's got to be the frustrating part because, as you mentioned, I mean, there's just so many traits that you would have to evaluate when it co- when it goes into looking at the quarterback position. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. I mean, you just listed the, you know, the primary three and we were just talking about and we've just been talking about like a couple others that we feel to also be important, but again, they're not really measurements that you can take. You just see it and it's like, "Oh, this guy can he exhibits this behavior, so we take that into account in our evaluations and then we keep moving." So, while the primary ones are things that we that those quarterbacks have to have are there some ancillary uh traits that i mean if they can demonstrate it if they show it i mean that's great and then just kind of i don't know it's just more or less icing on the cake for you so something like i know like matt wallman he like he harps on pump fakes a lot i mean yeah. i don't know like why that uh, for me again not understanding the position why that's as important as some of the other ancillary things but it's just are there others
0: it matters for Matt because if Matt could have a, an NFL in which all 32 quarterbacks were Brett Favre, that would be his that's ideal the more, yeah, because, That's the
2: quarterback he keeps talking about almost every time.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, when, when Matt over at the RSP a couple of years ago had that summer series, he used to do these when he would ask people to come on and write about a topic. When he had the team to defend the planet, which was basically sort of the space, you know, the space jam of football. Where you had to, you could reanimate players, whatever, but you needed one great football team. You had to build it to beat, you know, this super alien race that was going to line up and play football against you. His quarterback was Brett Favre. Look, he was putting the fate of Western civilization and this entire planet in Brett Favre's hands. I mean, I picked Joe Montana. He went with Brett Favre so.
1: I'm just saying. Like Matt you know, Brown. I saw mm-hmm. some Brett Favre highlights today for whatever reason on NFL Rewind. I He's swear he back. looked just <laughs> like Baker Mayfield. I mean, you can attest to it more, but they looked like the same thing.
0: I saw Adam some of those tweets floating around yesterday because when you know Favre's Instagram got hacked and it said he was coming back. Yeah. I look, I thought it was a Wranglers ad. I didn't think it <laughs> hacked, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people went right to the Baker highlights, and I got to say, I I could totally see it. So I mean, I I get why people were making those comparisons, you know, but you know. Matt loves sort of the pump fake because it goes to an ancillary trade that I was just going to bring up, which is manipulation. And it's not a non-negotiable, but it's one of those things that if you can do it, you are helping your team and you are helping your offensive coordinator. Because as a quarterback, if you have the ability to get a defender out of position, you're helping your offensive coordinator dial up plays. And you know, if you think about, say, if people remember that week six game against – Kansas city that the Patriots had with the Tom Brady hit those two huge seam routes. What was he doing on that play? He was moving the free safety with his eyes and freezing Mm -hmm. them in the middle of the field. So he could throw a seam route, which is a cover one free safety. That's one of the things you got to help against. You know, if you look at, you know, other quarters, take, for example, Dwayne Haskins, you know, he's great at moving defenders with his eyes. You know, and it's, you know, the free safety in the middle of the field. Everybody can point to that example because it's an easy one. But when you can get an underneath linebacker and cover one, that whole defender and get him out of position, you're doing your job as a quarterback. And, you know, Haskins is great at that. Brett Ripper was great at that using his eyes. And so, you know, using pump face is a way to do that. And when you can get a defender out of position, get him to trust, you know, to go and turn his back on what he's been coached to do, you know, you're going to be able to exploit a secondary. And so, manipulation pump fakes eye manipulation those are ancillary traits that i like to see you know people always talk about arm talent and i think that's one of those things it's more of a baseline like you have to have a sufficient arm to play in the nfl you have to be able to make some of those throws that you know like the 20 yard deep out or the deep comeback or whatever it is you got to be at least able to make those throws with sufficient velocity That's why guys like, say, Cody Kessler or Kellen Moore never really amounted to anything because they just didn't have it. They didn't have that baseline velocity. Mm. I do think that, you know, I go back and forth on arm talent. And velocity specifically, like and how much it matters. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there is a, such a thing as a double edged sword when it comes to velocity, because while it can bail you out of some situations, it can also artificially create some bad situations for the quarterback himself. Because, you know, if you're always been able to rely on your arm to just throw it as fast as you can and it's gonna get you out of jams, you're not gonna develop the other things like processing speed because you'll just say, I can be slower with my reads because my arm is so great. Well, At some point, your arm won't be as great. And you can see with Josh Allen this past season, there were times when he would be slow with reads Mm. and almost throw interceptions. And it looks great on paper, and it goes down for a completion, but he's going to get himself in trouble. And it was a similar thing that I had with Drew Locke. And so I go back and forth. I still view it as more of a a baseline threshold than than something you have to have uber arm talent to be successful. You know That leads us to mechanics. And Patrick Mahomes is a prime example of this. I don't get on mechanics that much. I I said it, I first said this when we were studying Mahomes. I don't have a problem with mechanics. They're not a problem until they're a problem. What I mean by that is remember how I framed accuracy. If you're putting Mm -hmm. the ball, you need to be able to put the ball where it needs to be when it needs to be there. If you're doing that, I don't care how you do it. I don't care what it looks like. And people were saying, oh, Mahomes is mechanics that are tear down and rebuild." He was still putting the ball where it needed to be when it needed to be there. So I don't have a problem with that. But take, for example, Mitchell Trubisky in that class who steps in the bucket a lot, flares open that hip and it leads to some missed throws and it still leads to some missed throws. I mean, guys, I wrote for pro football weekly this past season. I watched every single throw that kid made. I can tell you, he's still stepping in the bucket and opening that left hip and he's missing on throws as a result. That's when mechanics matter to me. If you're missing throws and it's because of mechanics, it's an issue to figure out Sam Donald. Everybody was worried about that big loop to his delivery. Mm-hmm. Because he had the ability to make anticipation throws and get the ball out quickly anyway with a nice little release, it didn't bother me. And so I think mechanics, it's easy to sort of diagnose. Everybody knows how it's sort of supposed to look, but don't like miss the forest through the trees here. If a guy's got hideous mechanics, but the ball is getting where it needs to be when it needs to be there, don't worry about it until it's actually an issue.
1: And you mentioned a couple things in there that I'm going to put together so you mentioned Dwayne Haskins and you also mentioned processing speed for anybody that hasn't seen the clip of him with Dan Orlowski on NFL network. That was phenomenal. And he is above average uh, intelligence in my opinion. And if you watch some play, you might not think so because he looks kind of slow and lumbering to me. And maybe his release takes a little bit of time, but he's so intelligent and his processing is NFL caliber already. Um, You also mentioned somebody with mechanics and, I totally agree with you because we see with technology now, you can see the visuals of them timing next to player releases. And uh, you see how quick Michael Vicks was. And now you see how quick Lamar Jackson's was. And I always found myself thinking, how much does that really matter? I mean, it matters for defenders rushing, sure. But that one second, I I don't know. I'd have to see that really Graft because it seems to me as long as the ball gets where it needs to go with as you said solid velocity that's what matters it almost looks like you can watch the quarterback film without watching the quarterback at that point if you just wanted to chart passes you could almost just take the quarterback out of the screen and just watch how the ball went where it went how quick it got there and then how much does it really matter what their mechanics look like so that's excellent to bring up
0: yeah and, and to build off your point there adam about haskins i mean you know, one of my favorite plays, there are always plays that stick out to me during the course of a draft evaluation season that I just remember on a player. I mean, I can tell, I can still tell you some about Wentz or Goff or Mahomes, but Dwayne Haskins and his game against, actually two of his games, both the Penn State game and the Purdue game, and this is why I liked Haskins, was that competitive toughness because I remember watching that Penn State game live and then I charted it multiple times after the fact, but I thought they were going to pull him at halftime. Like, he <clears throat> struggled, He was missing throws. He was... Getting blitzed. He was getting battered back there. But he hangs in there, Urban Miners, and pull them, and they come back and they win. That, that Purdue game, it's on the road. It's in some elements. There's a bit of snow out there. And they're down by two scores throughout most of this contest. But in the fourth quarter, they're still down by like 20. It's a fourth and seven in Purdue territory. They show blitz pre snap. So he makes an adjustment at the line, brings the tight end. He's calling out blitz protections he's doing this all on his own it's not coming from the sideline Mm -hmm. and then they don't blitz they rush three and drop eight and he still ropes in a post route between the safeties for a touchdown I mean that's processing speed that's doing NFL stuff where you're adjusting into the line of scrimmage on your own it's not you're not looking to the sideline and they're holding up the big card with Mike Goldick's face on it or whatever (laughs) Bob or whatever and Patrick whatever He's doing it on his own. That's that's NFL stuff. That's NFL processing speed. And so when I saw that same clip, Adam, with Orlovsky, I was like, this is the stuff that I've been talking about. Like He's a smart football player. And Jay Gruden is going to love him. And look, FedEx Field is like 20 minutes that way. This town is going to fall in love with Dwayne Haskins by this time next year. I mean, if Dwayne Haskins doesn't have a key to the city by three years from now, I will be stunned.
1: Yep. D.C. is going to love this kid. I'm in Maryland as well, Mark. Uh um, oh, nice. I- unfortunately i'm no longer a redskins fan which sucks I, mean, yeah. I love dwayne haskins but um it it's it seems to me we discussed this a little bit it might be something we can get in real quick before we finish with the video but it seems to me as though the redskins have a tough situation and it's going to be hard for haskins development because haskins comes into a situation where i and many perceive that jay gruden is on the hot seat however they have Calvin Harmon, Terry McLaurin, uh, Darius Geist, Dwayne Haskins. H- how exactly is Jay Gruden supposed to succeed? And you said that he's going to love Haskins. And it seems to me as though he's going to have to consider his own interests a little bit and maybe push Haskins a little further than uh, than you normally would with a rookie quarterback because he needs to keep his job. Do you think that'll bode well for Haskins in processing so well? Or is that going to put too much on his plate?
0: I, I think it's going to be a fine situation for him. He's a guy that I would have no problem seeing him start week one. I mean, because I think from the mental perspective, which is where so often you are worried about their young rookie quarterback, how much can they handle mentally? How much can you put on their plate? Because you know what NFL defenses are going to try to do to him. I mean, I don't know. I forget who Washington plays week one, but if it is Haskins, you can bet that defensive coordinators kind of show him a bunch of stuff. But the thing is, Haskins, even with just the one year starting experience at Ohio State he still handles things well from a mental perspective. And there was another play in that Purdue game where, again, they showed up a blitz look and then they dropped and he adjusted things like three different times over the course of one play clock. And then he missed what would have been a touchdown throw, but he did everything right. He is so on point mentally that I think that whenever he gets to the starting lineup, he's going to handle things just fine.
2: And I think so. I'm really hoping that, I mean, because Ohio native – I'm hoping that that actually happens. I hope he does well. And uh, since he got paired with one of his wide receivers from college, I'm hoping that connection Mm -hmm. maintains and helps him succeed. So I'm thinking that at the very least, uh, Washington is going to be an interesting team because you see that, that transition that they're going to have to make with some of that new talent. I mean, very much, uh, very similar to what Arizona's going to have to do now with yep. their influx of new age talent. So I think both of those teams, I mean, I don't think that they're going to ascend as quickly. I, I'm more I'm more interested in Arizona than Washington, at least from that perspective. But at the very least, I think, with that new age talent that's coming in, I mean, they're going to be very interesting to watch 2019 uh, and, and beyond. Uh, but uh, so moving on from that, uh, so, Mark, we're going to get into, I guess, the the meat of tonight's show, where we want to get your insight. Like, we want to get, uh, you know, look through your eyes and try and see how you evaluate quarterbacks, like as you see them, uh, you know, through like charting and film study and things of that nature. Uh, so, I've put together just a few quick clips. Uh, of some situations like with uh, particular quarterbacks, and I want, hopefully I can frame it correctly enough so that uh, you can see what we're talking about here. But the first one that I wanted to bring up is uh, actually just as Drew Brees because... When it comes to Dynasty, and we were talking about this earlier, I mean, when it comes to some of the older quarterbacks trying to assess their value and see like what they're capable of doing, well, when it comes to quarterback, it's not just about do they still have the ability to pass. I mean, there's still many other things that we have to worry about. So in this, uh, the first clip that I have is from 2011. I believe that, well, obviously they're playing against, uh, against the Falcons, but we can see some of the things that Drew Brees was capable of doing. And so from here... I mean, the linebacker has almost a free release, like, into the backfield. Drew Brees is almost, he can easily sidestep it, and he's able to run away, reset his feet, and then make the pass downfield. I mean, it just looks like vintage Drew Brees. Right. I mean, I, I mean, there's just, I believe he went, this is to, is that Marcus Colston? That might be, or no, uh, Robert Meacham. But either way, I mean, that's, a, but that's the type of play or quarterback play that we came to expect from Drew Brees, like when he was I mean, lighting it up with Jimmy Graham, Marcus Colston, and guys of that nature. But now if you right. fast forward to this past season, much of what we saw, I don't know if it was necessarily, I don't want to call it a, a breakdown or anything like that, but we did start to see the fact that age is starting to get to him. I tried to find at least a similar situation where we had, where he had to scramble for his life Uh, with a linebacker coming into the backfield but it just didn't seem like he was capable of at least you know shimming away and moving away to reset his feet and get the pass off like he used to be able to so mark between those two videos or these two videos that i pulled up i mean do you see something similar here do you see age starting to get the best of him, and is it something that you know new orleans and drew Brees has to adjust for as he continues to play
0: you know, because I don't think so. And, if, you know, you show this play from week two, the one against the Browns. Um, this is a third and seven situation plus territory in the red zone. And they basically they go empty here and they run basically what's four verts out of three by one. And then they take Alvin Kamara, who's in the left slot and run him on a cross and route. Cleveland shows pressure, but they drop eight. And they basically double both Kamara underneath and then Michael Thomas, who's the sole receiver at the bottom left here. They bring safety help over the top. So this is a situation where if you block in five, if you've got five to block, they're only rushing three. got to think they're going to get this blocked up, but they don't. They use sort of a tackle end exchange up front. Miles Garrett gets free, and Breeze doesn't really have a chance. Um, so this is the one that I would really put on Breeze because he's got to expect that they're going to have this blocked. You know, and the other fact is: look, they bracket out Alvin Kamara underneath. They bracket Michael Thomas with safety help over the top. He doesn't even have anywhere to go to throw the football. Mm-hmm. And 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 thinking about Breeze and sort of some of that his, his athleticism that he still has. You know, I think of Week Seven. This was a game on the road against Baltimore, and late third quarter, I think they were facing a third down near midfield or so. Baltimore brings a safety blitz. Tony Jefferson has him dead to rights. And he's able to roll to his right. Jefferson gets him around his legs. And he stays upright, completes the throw, and moves the chains on the third down. On the next play, they blitz him again. This time he rolls to the left, and he hits Traquan Smith. You know, roll into his left on a long out route along the left side, run um, for another big completion. And so, I think Breeze can still show you some athleticism. I think most quarterbacks, when they've got five into block three, they're going to expect to have some time. You know, he's now worried that when he sees the eight guys drop, he's like, okay, well, my first two reads are gone now. They're bracketed, they're doubles. So now I've got to work the bend and vertical route from right to left from the tight end, and then to the backside verts from you know two and three on the outside. They're not there either. But while all that's going on, Miles Garrett takes advantage of stunt and gets into his face. And so I'm not worried about Breeze's athleticism. You know, if there is sort of a loss in athletic ability, you know, he's, he's certainly not the guy he was back in 2011. I think we could all agree on that. But he does make up with so much of it from that process and speed. I wrote about him this past season when he broke the yardage mark, basically called him a human computer. You know, he breaks down what defenses do in the secondary so quickly with his mind that that helps to make up for any sort of lack or drop off of athleticism and so as long as Drew Brees is playing he's a viable fantasy option I think for anybody now does he have two three four years left maybe not that long but I think you look if you're in a redraft you know definitely keep an eye on Brees if you still got Brees shares you probably I don't know what you would get for him in return given the point of career he's at so you probably ride him off into the sunset
2: I think that's the, the right approach. And I think the biggest narrative that folks are, I guess, concocting right now in terms of some of the, the pessimism surrounding the Saints is that Max Unger retires. They have a rookie center that they drafted the, this past season at McCoy, I thought his name was. I thought that that was the prospect's name that they that they drafted. Either way, so there can be some lack of continuity in, on the line. So that, that breeds some of the discontent. And so when folks start to see some of the hits that Brees took this past season, that's what kind of – that brings that narrative into play. But from what you're telling me, I mean it seems like there's still enough that – I mean he's able to do just from a a mental standpoint and of course he still has that big arm that we really shouldn't be concerned about him at all.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's reason to be concerned. I mean there was – You know, late in the season, that offense struggled a bit. Maybe weeks like 12 through 14 or so, it seemed like that offense took a step back and they were getting a lot more brackets and doubles, you know, over those two guys, Kamara and Michael Thomas. You know, that Saints game, they were constantly just double teaming those guys, but other Mm -hmm. guys were getting free. Then a couple of those weeks, guys weren't getting free opposite those players and they struggled a little bit. You know, I think with Breeze, again, the the quick release, the arm that he has and the process and speed, those are going to help him. And so I think, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about Brees right now.
2: All right. And so the the next player that we want to talk about here is, uh, I think, one of the quarterbacks that I'm really excited to see, like, uh, get mm-hmm. into his second year uh, is Lamar Jackson. And, again, one of the uh, the fantasy community, and I think uh, to some degree, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, even the draft community was kind of left scratching their heads like after um, Baltimore's I guess, wild end to their season in, yes. in 2019, uh, or 2018, rather. Uh, so it kind of leaves us with uh, something of a you know mystical sense of what Lamar Jackson can actually, actually do, because they bring Lamar Jackson in towards the middle of the season. Joe Flacco is now gone. They more or less... Morphed the entire offense around him, uh, almost a new offense than what Joe Flacco was running. Our expectations were high for the way that he was drafted, but really he didn't wind up meeting those expectations, or at least in the way that we had, ex- had expected. But I still think with his athleticism, he brings something to the table that most other quarterbacks, they're just not going to do. And I think, as you had alluded to earlier, you brought the point of uh, quarterbacks being able to manipulate defenders. And I think with what Lamar Jackson can do in his running ability, and he's moving safeties, he's moving linebackers almost immediately after the ball is snapped because they're looking to see which way he's going to run, not necessarily which way he's going to pass. And this was one of the easiest examples that I was able to pull up uh, so this is from uh, the Baltimore Browns game. It uh, looks like they're in the pistol set here. And immediately after the ball is snapped, it looks like the defenders are looking to see where he's going to run almost immediately. See, the linebacker start to pull to the left, and you can see them start to move up as he's starting to run. And that gives him just almost an easy pass or an easy window of opportunity in order to pass down the field. Now, is that also what you're seeing here? And is that something that, I think Lamar Jackson can continue to build on in 2019 as they brought in just a slew of receivers. And he still has great tight ends in Hayden Hurst, Mark Andrews, and so on and so forth.
0: I I think so, Chris. I I love this clip that you pulled because it does a couple of things for us. Because what we also see here is that pre-snap motion, right? And I'm a huge proponent of helping your quarterback, you know, We've spent a lot of time tonight talking about process and speed and diagnosing what a defense is doing. But when you see that pre-snap motion, you see the defensive response. You see that corner trailing him in motion. So a quarterback knows at that point in time, I've got man coverage. You know, pre-snap movement, pre-snap motion is one of the best things you can do to help any quarterback, any, you know, young quarterback. You want to give him an extra bit of information, use some pre-snap motion. Why do the Patriots use motion so much? It's so when Tom Brady knows when he gets the football what coverage the defense is in. That right there confirms to Jackson there in man coverage, so he knows that he could throw this backside you know, corner route, that he's going to come back route that he's going to be throwing here in a second. And so that helps him diagnose it. And then the faked handoff, the play action, that gets the linebackers worried because Jackson sort of turns his back to the defense. You don't know what he's going to do, and his ability as a runner – Forces the defense and forces those second level defenders to worry about whether he's going to hand this off, whether he's going to keep it. So they're not even thinking pass at this point. And the beauty of sort of play action or even RPO designs is that it just takes an essential element of offensive football and extrapolates it in a different way. RPOs, for example, all they're doing is taking a defensive player, isolating them, and putting them into some sort of conflict. Right? If you think about. You know, a smash concept, for example, the corner route over the top and then a hitch route underneath, all you're doing is taking that cornerback and putting him into conflict between those two routes or trying Mm -hmm. to high-low him. All an RPO is is just a variation of the high-low ideal here where you fake a handoff, that's the low, and if the linebacker crashes down on it, you pull it and throw the slant route behind him. That's the high. It's just the next sort of step in offensive evolution. And so the RPO concepts, the stuff that we're seeing now in the NFL, It's just the next step in the evolution and growth of offenses. And it gets defender. You leave him unblocked, which also gives you a numbers advantage in the box. And then you just see what he does and you make a decision off of him. It's easy. It's why you're seeing it on Friday nights, but it works and it's effective, which is why you'll also see it on Sunday afternoons. So putting that together. I think Lamar Jackson could have a great year ahead of us. I know people are worried about, oh, he's missing throws and he doesn't look great, throwing against air and things like that. It's June. Don't worry about stuff like that because this time last year, Patrick Mahomes was throwing a ton of interceptions in minicamp and OTAs, and he was going to have a 30-interception season. Well, they were telling him to push the envelope, see what you can get away with, and then you'll know what you can and can't do once the games really count sort of the same thing with jackson i'm not worried about it now i think he's going to be fine i think this offense is going to be built around what he does well as it should be i think he could have a very good season in the year ahead
1: so mark i want to talk a little bit about lamar because i've been dying to give a lamar spiel on the show and what better guess to give it with with you and feel free to tear it apart after i'm done but essentially with lamar jackson i'll admit my bias ahead of time. I I love the guy. I love that they asked him to play wide receiver and he didn't. I I love all of it. And here's the thing. He's gotten better every year. So let's talk for a second about the things that you can't quantify. He's got the competitive nature. Great competitive drive. He's gotten better every single year. He comes into the NFL into a situation the team is built for Joe Flacco at that point. It was not built for Lamar Jackson. So what did they do? They grab Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. That was what I thought you were getting to earlier, Chris, when I said, oh my goodness, is that How on earth did Hayden Hurst go in the first round? And then you put yourself in a position to have to trade up for your franchise quarterback. It's so frustrating that that happened. However, they drafted to Lamar's strengths. Now, what did you do on the outside? You went and got Marquise Brown, and then you also got Miles Boykin, another guy that we love. You're going to send them downfield, and you're going to let Lamar make plays. Accuracy is something that we're going to have to worry about with him. He's gotten better every single year, and I would like to say that that's also been that he's gotten more accurate every single year. Is he ever going to be the most accurate quarterback? That's what I'm going to ask you here in a second. But it's almost like he's in his own category because you laid out a rule earlier that accuracy is going to be so important with these quarterbacks, and you can have all of these other things, but if you're not accurate, it's not going to happen for you. But then you look at Lamar Jackson and you say the things that he does to manipulate a defense is something that – Nobody outside of maybe Kyler Murray this year and maybe he's the Konami code this year because he's also accurate isn't going to do. There's no RG3 couldn't do the same things that we're seeing Lamar Jackson do, and he was Mm -hmm. the one who started this. So look at the accuracy and talk to me about that for just a second. But just let me know, is he going to be successful even if the accuracy doesn't come around?
0: I think he can still be a successful quarterback, both from a fantasy perspective and an X's and O's, wins and losses on the field perspective, even if the accuracy doesn't fully round into what you might hope for. And the reason for that is, you know, when they drafted Hollywood Brown, you know, what's one of the best things that Hollywood Brown did last year it was sort of scrambled drill situations coming out of the slot when Kyler Murray was making something happen in the offensive backfield. Well, what do you think Baltimore might be looking for when they draft a player like that? It's to pair him with Meyer Jackson, sort of the ability he has to create in the backfield. And when you're making some sort of these deeper throws downfield, you know, we move away from the realm of perfect placement and towards the realm of general accuracy, mm-hmm. right? You know, there is a distinction to be made between accuracy and ball placement. Like If you're running a West Coast offense, you need the ball to be put on the right shoulder, the right hip, and the right spot to generate yardage after the catch. And that's fine and well and good for throws from you know, five yards behind the line of scrimmage to 15 yards downfield. Mm-hmm. When you're talking deeper throws downfield, like if you're throwing a go route 35, 40, 45 yards downfield and you put it to the wrong shoulder, I'm not going to grade you negatively as a result when I'm studying the quarterback because I don't care. At that point, I just want it catchable. Mm-hmm. And that's what Lamar is going to be able to do. You know, when you get these broken plays and suddenly, you know, Hollywood Brown is streaking downfield, I don't care if he throws it to his back shoulder. I just want it to be a catchable ball. And I think that's the kind of stuff that he's going to deliver. And I do think that, you know, all the stuff about Lamar's accuracy, I think he's still a better pocket passer than he's getting credit for. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, you know, you take their game against the Chargers in the playoffs when they get down by two scores and they had to throw. and Everybody at m Stadium knew that they were going to be a throwing team they looked like a pretty competent offense when he was asked to throw the ball. And so I think
1: What yes. was that all season. That was fantastic. Yeah. Well, game, as a matter of fact, where was it all game before they were put in that situation? Right. It, so I think
0: if, if you now have a situation where he's the starting quarterback, period, full stop, it's mm-hmm. not Joe Flacco's offense. It's going to be an offense for him. He's going to have an entire off season in the system. I think he's set up to succeed. And so I'm not so worried much about his ball plays because of the splash plays. I think will still be there. But I still think he's an accurate enough quarterback that he's going to be successful.
1: And it seems as though the 10-yard out is so inaccurate that he's almost, you're right, getting double and triple counted for negative accuracy. But if you look, I mean, I will I'll will go look at the charted passes if somebody's done the work on it. And the 10-yard out for him is horrendous. Yeah. Uh, so don't who, run it. Right. Right. And who's left. That's really going to be running that. That's right. Of Willie Sneed. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. That they drafted for his strengths. And I love the Ravens as an organization. I think they were one of the very few competent organizations. And as I alluded to earlier, took the two best quarter. I mean, I bet you that the Ravens would probably admit that Nikhil Harry was a better all around wide receiver than Marquise Brown, but he did not fit that offense whatsoever. Right. I'm not mad at that pick at all, as much as I love Nick Harry, because of that. They picked the best player for that offense to help Lamar Jackson. And I think that they're going to do very great things together.
0: Yeah, I think they will too. And you know, the thing to sort of remember with the Ravens and sort of how they've constructed this offense, it's going to be a lot with the tight ends. And so you're going to be throwing crossing routes. You're going to be throwing those types of routes, you know, Because, you know, I I know that there was the sort of off-season PFF, Keen Fahey war over Lamar Jackson, which I did not wade into, probably because I'd only be able to read half of it, but that (laughs) may. You know, if a guy can't throw a particular route, don't throw it. Like, don't put it in the playbook. Like – you know, this is how we sort of started the show, talking about how teams are now in a realm where they're going to structure the offenses around what the quarterback does well. What are some things he can throw well? Slants, swings, quick—you know—speed routes, crossing routes, and then stuff down the field. That's kind of what Lamar Jackson's strengths are as a passer. So, tailor the offensive route concepts to that. If you're, if you wanted to draft a quarterback that can throw a great ten yard out, well, then maybe you should have drafted a Josh Rosen in that class, or maybe even a Josh Allen, but. You drafted Lamar Jackson, now build the offense to his strengths. And we've talked about what those are as a passer.
2: Right And I think that actually, and this is a, a, a wonderful segue, because the uh, many of the routes that I was uh, looking at when I was charting uh, Marquise Brown in uh, when he was still with at Oklahoma, those were a lot of the same types of routes that uh, that he was getting from Kyler Murray. He was getting some of those drag routes across the middle as Kyler Murray was able to weave in and out of the backfield as he had defenders coming at him. So a lot of the same route concepts that Marquise Brown was uh, was using in college. I mean, they play to the same strengths that Lamar Jackson was capable of uh, capable of doing, that he showed in, in 2018. So I think that that pairing is just, I mean, an absolute perfect understanding of what your quarterback is, what he's capable of doing, and if you want to maximize his talent on the field, then you get the receiver that meets those specifications, and they went out and they did that perfectly. And then now... Uh, the last quarterback that we want to take a look at tonight was, in fact, Kyler Murray, because I think, as I mentioned earlier, the Arizona offense, another one of those offenses that now has this massive influx of new age talent. I mean, they've got, I mean, they. Cliff Kingsbury, so they got him, they gave him the keys to the car, and he basically, he's now completely overhauled the entire offense. I mean, we now have, I mean, the the air raid offense is now, that's become, like, the big buzzword now, like, throughout the entire, like, NFL community. Everybody's saying air raid, four wide receivers, five wide receivers, however many pass catchers you can pack onto the field at one single moment in time, and we'll just have Kyler Murray just run the offense and do whatever. But I think... As much as everybody is, I guess, geared towards all of these, you know, 50, 60 passes a game, or at least that's the dream, that's not all that Kyler Murray can do. That's not all he exhibited at Oklahoma after coming in right behind Baker Mayfield. So... With that, one of the videos that I pulled from the uh, from the Orange Bowl when they played against Alabama somewhat highlights some of that. It's almost the what we saw with Lamar Jackson in the previous video we were looking at in terms of manipulating the defense and looking at what he can do as a runner. But then we forget, oh yeah, by the way, uh, Kyler Murray is one heck of a downfield passer. And uh, so looking at this, so one of the routes that uh, you can see the deep route, you can see him actually, Kyler Murray, just... I mean, just sliding by the defense and then keeping his eyes downfield and then you see the fact that he's able to just hit that deep ball, hit the receiver in stride. But Mark, what other things do you see when you watch some of the plays that Kyler Murray is capable of doing?
0: You know, it's funny, Chris. In this draft season, I was tasked over Pro Football Weekly to assemble the perfect quarterback, right? So it's one of Mm -hmm. those things, you see the graphics, you know, whose arm, whose head, whose heart, whatever. And I even, to tried to unskew the scales a bit incorporated some traits like manipulation competitive toughness in it i think of the 15 or 12 categories i think like eight of them were Kyler murray you know (laughs) because he's he's just you know i've been studying quarterbacks for a while now both professionally and just recreationally, just thinking about the position he's a rare talent that i don't think we've seen in a while and that throw just encapsulate encapsulates just how ridiculous he is because on the run i mean he's done almost he's on almost a full sprint towards the line of scrimmage and just uncorks this throw to the back of the end zone with right. almost a flick the wrist it's just ridiculous like the human body shouldn't be able to do that but it's that baseball background it's similar to Mahomes. and before anybody screams i am not making a one-to-one comparison to patrick mahomes and kyler murray but that's an incredible throw that is derived from his baseball background because you have to as an outfielder make some throws from ridiculous platforms, sometimes running full speed. Well, I mean, think about a situation where, you know, tie game, bottom of the ninth, potential runner on third base, and you're going to make that tag up throw from the outfield. Well, how do you do it? You start deep, you catch the ball, and you throw it running forward. I mean, that's what he's doing right here. He's throwing out somebody at home plate who's trying to tag up, but now it's on a baseball field in, in the playoffs against the closest thing you'll get to a professional defense in a college game, Alabama's. Oh, yeah. And so he's an incredible talent. The thing that sticks out to me about Calamari, there's a couple of things. He's got an incredible arm. We see it here. But his touch, his touch on throws like the corner route, which is perhaps the toughest route to throw in football. Mm. It's among the best in this class. You know, his, his process and speed is good enough for an air raid type passer that I didn't have any concerns about. him. you could see him you know, running some designs and making smarter reads and decisions with the football than even Dwayne Haskins. You know, I I never wrote the piece. I wanted to write a piece about the two of them running mesh why sit where you get that sort of curl route over the top of the mesh concept. And he's making the right reads and Haskins is struggling with that. And yeah, you know, they're more of an A-Ray team, so he's more familiar with it, but he's making the right reads with the ball. A thing that is critical to understanding Kyler Murray and why I was so high on him. People were worried about the size, the frame, the longevity, the durability. Again, the baseball background. I can't tell you guys how many times I was watching him and seeing him give up, sacrifice yardage, because he knew I could try to make a cut here, but I might get blasted, so I'll just slide or I'll just duck out of bounds. And yeah, I miss out on a chance to hit a home run here, but I'll get back to the huddle under my own power. That's huge for him when he gets to the NFL because he's going to have to do that. A lot of quarterbacks... You know, how did Carson Wentz hurt his knee? He was runner. diving. He runner. was running the football, 6'5", 245. He gets hurt as a runner. And if people can look it up on film, go watch the RSP film room I did with Matt the night before his senior year started. We watched his, you know, junior year championship game against Illinois State. And what did we say? We love the aggressiveness. He can't do that in the NFL because Carson Wentz is going to get hurt. And that's what happened. But Kyler Murray... He knows how to take care of himself and protect himself. And so I think that's going to help him. And, yes, we can't overlook the fact that he is what I call an angle eraser. His touchdown run against Army. I, any other quarterback I would have said, look, I did not like the result of this play. I don't care that he ran for a touchdown. I want to see you make the throw here. But he's got that ability when he breaks the pocket. He sees an open receiver. But he also knows that I don't care that both those linebackers and the free safety have the angle on me. I'm going to outrun all these guys to the end zone, and that's exactly what he did. You put that all together, I think it's a tremendous package of potential. Now, the interesting thing is I know there are a lot of questions about that offensive line. Well, let's think about that offensive line this way when we evaluate the offensive line position now we're often worried about air raid offensive tackles because they play with such big splits the ball gets out of the quarterback's hand so quickly they don't make a lot of traditional pass drops. so how could you truly evaluate them they might not be good in a traditional offensive setting well what do you do you run an air raid offense and so now that's going to help that offensive line whatever five guys they run out there i know they're trying to figure that out they're going to be pass blocking in an air raid system that's going to be easier for them. So I think that offensive line will be better by default, basically by design. You add that to Murray's athleticism, Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Larry Fitzgerald is still going to be there. I love Christian Kirk. I love Ricky Seals-Jones. David Johnson being used the right way, not running 30-31 gut behind the center.
1: Mm -hmm. That was
0: insane. This Mm -hmm. offense is going to put up points. Plus, they're probably going to be playing from behind a good – you know, a fair amount. Sure, they're going to put up points. I've, I've said it before. If you want some fantasy value, mind that roster. There are
1: going to be opportunities there. And Kyler has become quite the value in startups. Obviously, he's the de facto number one in superflex because it's it's a relatively down class. So you don't have to really think about it because there's not that high end talent. But in in startups, I'm finding myself even in superflex leagues being able to wait on quarterback, which I wait a very uncomfortable amount of time on quarterback, anyways. But I'm finding Kyler Murray as my quarterback one. And I think the reason he's such a value right now is because in the Dynasty community, we could be snobs. I mean, we want to draft the total package. When it comes to a starting lineup, we're willing to go get anybody to get us points. But when we're drafting, for whatever reason, as a community, we can be snobs. And when you look at Kyler Murray, you say, he's so small, he's going to get hurt. And I know because I was saying the same thing. I was not a huge fan at first. And then I started watching the film and I saw exactly what you mentioned. The guy's not going to get hit and you might get frustrated because he didn't get that touchdown. And then David Johnson vultures the touchdown. However, he, the size does not matter because he's not going to get hit and, I never really connected it to his, his baseball background, but you'd have to imagine, I don't know if you remember, but the RG3 and Kirk Cousins taking that practice off in training camp just to slide. Yep. Uh, Kyler's already got it, and it obviously didn't work out for RG3. Yeah,
0: I mean, it was hilarious a couple of games, seeing him just drop a perfect pop-up slide at, like, the 45-yard line. And it's right. like, you know, he's, he's t- he sliding into second after hitting the double to the gap. Like, that's not a football player. That That's a baseball player right, right. there. But. I mean, he doesn't need to learn how to slide. I mean, we saw Flacco struggle with a knee brace when he was trying to slide. It just comes natural to him. It's, it's a reflexive movement. Doesn't have to think about it. Doesn't cost him that extra second thinking about it. And so, yeah, I'm not worried about him getting hurt. And plus, let's, let's face it, he bulked up to 205. I know people were guessing, oh, maybe that's not that his He's, he's, he's playing weight. People were going back and like freeze frame and stuff. No, his taps weren't that big. He's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You don't have to freeze frame the kid. He's going to be okay. Yeah. Sure.
2: No, I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm really looking forward to what Arizona and what their their entire offense, and not just from a schematic point, but just from the entire offensive philosophy. I think for the longest time, I think people, I, I, I want to say just fantasy owners because we want to see the points, we want to see the production. So the idea of something like what Mike Leach has been preaching for a while in terms of like the air raid type offense, like that's what we have been wanting to see in the NFL And this is probably about as close as we're going to get to like a true air raid type offense, but still regardless, I mean, with that type of offensive scheme now being placed into the NFL along with Kyler Murray and all of the weapons that he now has in front of him, from both veteran presence and Larry Fitzgerald, all the way down to some of the new talent that he has around him, Isabella, Hakeem Butler, so on and so forth. I think it's just going to be just a wonderful thing to watch just from a Fan of the NFL. I mean, forget yeah. fantasy for a second, but just as being a fan of the NFL and watching the game evolve this is going to be the team that you're you're really going to want to watch in 2019 and, then, yeah, and also moving forward. Yeah,
0: I Before. think you're exactly right, Chris. I mean, I think if you're a fan of this sport, you want Arizona to be successful because mm-hmm. it's going to open up more opportunities for people to think sort of maybe outside the box and try new things offensively and evolve the game offensively. And it's going to be a great thing if this is successful. I mean, I certainly hope that Arizona goes out, puts points on the board, shows promise, and then gets into the playoffs maybe a year or two down the road. So, yeah, I'm right there with
1: you guys. Yeah. And, Mark, before we let you go, I just wanted to say, could you explain to us kind of what Air Raid is? Because we're all excited about it, but I don't know that everybody knows exactly what that even means. What?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the Air Raid offense, it's basically, you know, has its roots back to BYU and Howl Mom and sort of, if you know, Kentucky Wesleyan and all these sort of smaller types of schools where, you know, it's an offensive school of thought that, You know, you really look to stretch the field from sideline to sideline with basic route concepts. Mike Leach's playbook can be written on an index card. You know, he's got like four or five different routes that he runs. I mean, two of the major ones are the mesh concept, which is one that every team now runs, is where you've got receiver on each side of the formation, and they just cross at a depth of about five yards over the middle of the field. And obviously, it's perfect against man coverage, but then you've got variations of it where you can have that mesh Y-sit, like I was talking about, where you have those two guys crossing underneath and then a curl route over the top of it. So if you do get zone coverage, you can throw the curl route over the top of it. And then you can build in other things off of it, like Leach likes to pair it with a wheel route out of the backfield, and then a backside post route. And so now you've got an answer for everything the defense can show you. Whereas other plays, like if you look at an old Steve Spurrier playbook, you know, he could have some route concepts and he'll have coaching points in there. And he'll say, cover three audible, get out of it. Cause you don't have an answer for it. They're going to cover this in cover three. Well, that's not the same with mesh. You know, you, if you have a mesh with a backside post and a wheel route and a sit route, you can beat almost any defense that's, that's called. I mean, as long as the quarterback reads it, right, you're going to have an answer for it. It's now the other one is mesh. Why not mesh, but why cross? and, this is something that you see all the time. You know, you've got a go route from one side. You've got that crossing route, and you've got a backside curl route. And you've got an answer for everything. You peak that go route. If you get press coverage and it's there, throw it. Otherwise, you work the crossing route, which should be there versus man or zone. If not, they somehow take that away. You've got the curl route. And you see on all of these, I'm talking about things, and I'm working through progressions. And that's the thing about the air raid offense that I don't think people quite understand. And I wish I could take credit for this. But somebody else said this to me once. They said, look, the thing about Mike Leach's offense that gets you ready for the pro game is that we're running four or five progression reads full field on every single given play. And it's not it's not much more than those quote unquote air quotes pro style college offenses you see. And that was told to me by Gardner Minshew at the senior bowl who ran Mike Leach's offense last year and he told me and you can see it on his film you're going four or five reads into a play and It gets you to that process and speed than that we were talking about at the quarterback position. So the beauty of the Air Raid is that it's simple, but it has an answer for everything. Unlike some of the other offenses that we've talked about that might have plays where you just got to get out of it because you don't have an answer for what the defense is doing. The Air Raid has built-in answers for everything. And so it's quick, it's simple. You can run it as a quarterback. You know, June Jones had a version of it. He was at a coaching clinic a couple of years ago when he was out of Hawaii. Cole Brennan threw for, like, 5,000 yards and, like, 45 touchdowns. They ran, like, three plays because, to paraphrase June Jones, Colt Brennan was an idiot and couldn't learn the playbook. So they could only run, like, five or six plays, but it was enough to get him 5,000 yards pass and, like, 50 touchdowns or whatever because wow. it's simple, and you can just beat a defense run of the same play over and over and over again. That's the beauty of the air raid,
2: And that's just – that blows my mind that something that simplistic is something that can be, uh, that can provide so much, I guess, offensive efficiency and just that level of effectiveness. And it just, again, I'm, I'm hoping that it's one, I want to see it applied to the NFL. And two, I really hope that it's executed well enough that these concepts, of this evolution of the NFL is something that we can all, both the fans fans of the NFL and people that are still kind of stuck in there, you know, have to run the ball on first down, those types of ways. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that can kind of, you know, show them the light in terms of, well, there are other ways that you can play this sport that, that we so much enjoy. But the other thing that we do enjoy is you, Mark, you taking the time to come and sit down and give us some of your knowledge and helping us kind of see from your perspective you know how we can better evaluate both the quarterback position and just offensive schemes from an x's and o's standpoint but before we get you on out of here uh, we wanted to give you a second to one tell us about any upcoming work that you might have coming out any pieces that folks should go out and and check out right now anything else that you got going on i mean the floor is yours man
0: Well, Adam, Chris, thanks so much for having me on. This was a blast. Um, you guys are doing such great work. I'm honored to be here and part of this series. And look, anytime I'm going to line up with Matt Harmon, you got to feel pretty good (laughs) because that's what he does too. So I appreciate that. Um, Easiest way to follow me is on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Um, I'll, I will pump for a second one piece. It's a piece I wrote over at Pat's Pulpit about Bill Belichick, Iowa State's defense, and the future of defense, because we've spent a lot of time talking about the air raid. Should mm-hmm. Look at the Big 12 and what they're doing to stop the air raid. In one way is that sort of three three five defense that John Heacock has implemented over at Iowa State where they have basically a full-time third safety and if you watch the Patriots like I do, you will see a lot of times last year they ran something very, very similar. And so that might be the next wave of defensive football going to this sort of three three five or three two six like the Patriots did with that Joker type safety player. They used Patrick Chun, who, who sometimes he's playing a deep third, sometimes he's down there at a middle linebacker spot. So I'm be looking for more teams to run stuff like that. So you can check that out over at PatsPulpit.com.
2: Absolutely. I'm hoping folks go in and check that out. And actually, since we are stuck on the Patriots for just a minute, um, so I know you had to have seen the uh, Tom Brady's Instagram pick earlier that that released today. Saw he was uh, throwing passes to a wide receiver that uh, I'm hoping everybody knows and loves. of one of my favorites. Uh, So I just wanted to get your quick take, though, on the situation. So I'm I'm hoping at the very least he gets reinstated. Uh, of course, we're talking about Josh Gordon, but I'm just wondering about how he's going to be used in that, uh, like, in the offense once he gets back. This is assuming he gets back, because Josh Gordon, and I think the way that uh, I will, I will probably hate on Hugh Jackson till the end of my days, but I do think that the way that Cleveland was able to use Josh Gordon as as a vertical receiver, I thought was actually was just was great, but. It seemed like, from at least from, from my perspective, that the Patriots seemed to be one of those like uh, short passing, that dink and dunk, that like, type of offense for I would say the let's say the back half of the season. So is that something that Josh Gordon will have to become for that offense, or can you do you think Tom Brady can still hook up with them down the field?
0: No, he, he will still be – you know, and there were times when they did use him on sort of hitch routes and things like that. But a lot of what he was running was more vertical stem-based routes where it was hitches, goes, posts, and digs and slants as well. And that, those were kind of the routes that they were using Josh Gordon on. He was extremely effective at running of those. And I'm envisioning a Patriots offense down the stretch that has – Demarius Thomas as one boundary receiver. Josh Gordon as the other boundary receiver. Nikhil Harry at one slot. Julian Edelman in the other slot. I mean vision in that type of offense where you know we spent, as Patriots fans, so much time and energy worried about how they were going to replace Rob Gronkowski. Are they going to draft one or two tight ends? Are they going to trade for a tight end? Are they going to trade for Kyle Rudolph? They're going to replace Rob Gronkowski with receivers. They're going to use Nikhil Harry. And you know, as a replacement for him in parts, and about, again, how we started this this show talking about how to attack defenses up the seams, right? That was one of the things that Rob Gronkowski did so well was run seam routes. You look at Super Bowl fifty three; they ran Hoss wide juke three straight times, which is a varied route concept: hitch seam to both sides, hitch seam, and then juke route is that option route over the middle from Edelman. They had Gronkowski, his last catch. I just did a show over at Locked On Patriots, revisiting all the games. I just did the Super Bowl show, which is going to come out tomorrow. My eyes teared up when I heard the audio again of Gronkowski's last catch. It was on a seam route. Well, now you're just going to replace that with guys like Edelman and Nikhil Harry running seam routes out of the slot. And so that's what I envision this offense, you know, being sort of down the stretch. Gordon and Thomas on the outside, Harry and Edelman in the slot. But I will caution you by saying this. As a Patriots fan and as a member of sort of the media covering the team and trying to make predictions about what Bill Belichick does, I have been wrong a lot more than I've been right because trying to get into Belichick's head or Josh McDaniel's head is a difficult place to get. So I'm sitting here telling you they're going to be a 10-personnel team or even you know, an 11-personnel team at best, maybe with a tight end here and there. They might come out and be a 32-personnel team for all I know. It's hard <laughs> to predict what they're going to do, but if you were to ask me sitting here now, that's what I envision, a full wide receiver set with those guys. Now, I'd Mark, love to see Nick,
1: that. he didn't actually pop, right? Josh Gordon did not pop on a drug test.
0: No, he took himself out. But the rumor is that if when he asks to be reinstated, that there's going to be a suspension. So maybe he did. It's still sort of murky. Mm-hmm. But my understanding of the situation is, you know, he sort of sidelined himself and it was because he had failed one. There was a report that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assume when he decides to come back more will more light will be shed on that and we'll probably learn okay, he's got flagged for something again and there might be another suspension. But we'll just have to wait and see. I certainly hope he comes back because he was a you know, in that middle stretch of the season, you know, the game against the Bears, the game against the Vikings, he was a big part of what they were doing offensively.
2: He looked great against the Chiefs, too. I mean, I thought that was he was a hell of a player. I mean, he was a hell of a piece of what they were able to do in order to get over the hump. Of course, Rex Burke had sealed the deal. Actually, I'll take that back. It was probably D Ford that actually sealed the deal in order to get them the win. But uh, yeah, I digress. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Mark, uh, for joining us this evening. Of course, I'm, I'm if people aren't following already and they're listening to this podcast, stop listening to this podcast and then go follow Mark and catch up all of his work. But, of course, for – I mean, Adam, do we have anything for the folks before we get on out of here tonight?
1: Yes, Mark, from a fellow Marylander. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for the second installment of the positional series where we've just discussed quarterback. We've got running back with Bob Lung left, and we're going to finish up with tight end. Please like, comment, rate, retweet, all of those great things at Dynasty Manual on Twitter. And you can find me at APWILDE. Thank you
2: absolutely and so for mark for adam i'm chris allen you can find me on twitter at Chris chrisallenffwx but thank you all for Don't listening and we'll catch you all next week feel
0: no pain, for the fantasy championship
2: dynasty.
0: hit the books kid read
1: this perfectly called the dynasty owners manual it, it, it's
2: automatic the dynasty it, it's automatic owners manual it, it, it's automatic the dynasty